Tiny homes are on the move in Australia and around the world. Is it a way to escape? Is it a way to downsize? Or is it a way to add extra space to an existing dwelling? I'm sure there's many more things and Grant will know about that. I'd like to introduce our guest today. Some say he drives the fastest tiny home in the West. Others say he's the tiny home's whisperer. But we know him as Grant Eman's director from Designer Eco Tiny Homes. How are you, Grant? Good. Fantastic, Glenn. Thank you. All those things are absolutely true. Yeah, I know. You live and breathe it. I've known you for a while. <laughs> i got to say, I always enjoy going out to your, your factory and seeing what you do. You're always very excited and passionate about a new design or a new feature you've put in because you have obviously so many variants um, with customer tastes. So... Every day, every day yeah. it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Which, yeah. Which makes it interesting and challenging for you. <laughs> it does. It certainly does. But it's exciting. It has to be, your job has to be entertaining. It has to be fun as well as um, obviously bring in the bills, but um, pay the bills. So, um, yeah, we certainly enjoy it. And every day is different because one of the great things about a tiny house is it's, it's, uh, you have that amazing ability to be able to customize the space to suit your, individual needs whereas say because it's only so small you know you can yeah. generally well, afford to do why, something different yeah. yeah i know you've got a lot to mention but why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became involved in tiny homes yeah well that's interesting because i you know when i was at university uh, in sydney uh, with my brother we we both decided we should start a construction company which we did and uh we you know we built you know like everyone else building decks yeah. and shop fit outs and houses and all sorts of things. And we built that up uh, from, you know, a small company uh, and in the end building some pretty nice homes and mm -hmm. um, not necessarily sustainable homes though. So a lot of the time I would see, and especially for myself, finishing uni and, and getting into it thinking, Oh, I'm going to have to buy a house. And so I was very much in the same predicament as everyone else looking how can you afford, how can you actually afford to buy a house? Um, it, it's very difficult. So we, I also looked at the, um, I was always constantly looking for a more sustainable way to do things. And I think it's important that people remember that, um, being sustainable isn't just about the environment, like the natural environment. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's a huge factor, but you also have to consider the built environment, not only um, the things that we make, but also our personal well-being. And so if you think about the, um, something is sustainable in my view, if it, if it, if it adds to the, like if it adds the, the environmental benefits plus the economic, because you must, it must be sustainable both financially. Yeah and environmentally and that's key otherwise it's really not a it's 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 not a solution we're looking for solutions people need to fix the problems that we have people need to find more cost effective and environmentally sustainable options to live into the future and we see that more and more or do in every way what? every way every way every choice that people make now it has to have an environmentally conscious uh thought process gone through it plus you have to be able to pay for it. So yeah, that's, that's always important. Um, and I'm sure we'll cover uh, that in a bit more depth. Uh, one of the things though, that as it has grown this movement and there's many reasons uh, why, 
the Australian Tiny Homes Association, I know you're a part of it and uh, you think it's um, an interesting thing. I've been involved in this industry in many associations. Some help each other, some are a little bit reticent to talk about what they do, but I think you said it's um, a fairly good association and um, what's your role in that? Oh, I agree. It is a, the, well, back one step from the association, the actual tiny house movement, uh, the community is an, is a fabulous movement to be part of. It's a, it's a group of like-minded people who are looking for that more sustainable option. It's people who do or used to do the ordinary, which was for me building regular homes. Yeah. That's what we did. So I did for a long, long time. And when I started to see the change, I needed to make, I looked for alternates and in that I saw the tiny houses. So mm -hmm. the community is strong. I've flown over to America. I've been part of uh, a tiny oh. house festival over there um, in North Carolina. That, that was back in uh, 2016. And, and so there's, yeah. That? Like how many well, that was, yep. Yeah, yeah. So back then, back in 2016, it was the inaugural tiny house festival and they, they do a lot now. There's, um, there's one every probably couple of months uh, in America in different parts of the, the country. But this one specifically was in North Carolina. And um, it, there was, a, I would say there was about 500 people uh, there for the, for the weekend for this one. And there was probably about eight or nine tiny homes on display that you could actually look at. And they spoke about the DIY, like building it yourself yeah. and things like that and how you could do it yourself. So, Everyone was there and I remember distinctly, it was very, it was almost strange, but um, at the end of the seminar, at the end of the conference, they sat everyone around in this enormous circle. Mm -hmm. um, and normally you see that in small groups of 10 or maybe 20 if you're lucky, but this thing was like hundreds of people in this huge circle <laughs> and they, they had a microphone and they Is were asking, you, you could, yeah, you could, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could ask questions and share. And I think that's key to the tiny house movement. It, it is mostly, you know, mostly uh, sharing ideas about how we can create sustainable housing in the future. Now, the Tiny House Association of Australia, which is a great thing, is more a more formal recognised body of trying to have, uh, you know, people who are interested in the industry or those who are actually partaking in it to join and share information. And it's a wonderful thing that we can have competing businesses uh, but yet at the same time sharing ideas to try and move this industry into, the, in, into more mainstream. Uh, and I think that's the main part of the association to try and sort of take a lot of the gray area out of uh, what is a tiny house for a lot of people and um, bring it into the mainstream so that they can see that honestly more, more and more people, more and more Australians will be choosing to live this way and how do we make it easier for them to do that? Yeah. Well, getting into that and getting from that, that you've just mentioned, um, your customers that come to you, is there a, is there a link to why they want to do this? Um, or is it just so individual? Uh, is there like a trend you see? Because I've, I've been to a few tiny home manufacturers and I've been to a couple of places where I've had people exhibiting and it seems a, a wide variety of reasons, but is there a, a common thing running through why people are choosing tiny homes? 
Well, I would say, I would, yes, there would be a common theme. There's obviously an enormous array of individual reasons as to why they do get them, personal circumstances for whatever. But, but the underlying, the underlying uh, reason why they choose to go tiny is, I believe, both, well, essentially, if I summarise it, it's the sustainable choice for housing. It's the appropriate use of natural resources in order to house them, whether it's their family, whether it's, um, yep. or as individuals, it's, it's the most appropriate use of natural resources. And in saying that as well, it's, it's cost effective. So there are outside factors, like I said at the start, like the cost to buy a house in say Sydney or Melbourne, for most part, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Oh, forget it. I really like what you said there too, um, in that Australia, I think we're one of the countries that have the largest houses in the world. And I know in Sydney, there was like 1.6 people living in a house. I never met a person who was 0.6. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I used, to, yeah. I used to go through there and see people with all their lights on and everything else. And I agree with you and what you're saying in that, I think, um, sustainability, obviously I work with text and we're all into that as well, but, I think that more and more, we're just not going to have the land. We don't need, we're spreading out over fertile land, building over it. So I see tiny homes as a way for people to have um, a quicker or, or an easier uh, get into the marketplace. But also, um, we're not using resources or energy that we're, we sh we're doing now because of bigger homes. Oh, I, I actually think it's actually quite embarrassing. And I remember when I was building homes, um, regular, when I say homes, we're building homes now, but yeah. when I was building a regular home, um, yeah. it was embarrassing that, that Australia was for a time. It may still be, I'm not sure that we were classed that the, the average house that we were building was the largest in the world. <laughs> and I thought that's, that's, that's horrifying statistic when, you brought up a statistic before the average household size, like for say Sydney is, oh, I thought it was 1.3, but 1.3, 1.6, who cares? It's not, it's not five or six. It's yeah. one, one or one or two. So why, why would you build something so big? I think that's, it makes no sense. Admittedly. Yes, there is absolutely scope in the market for large homes. I, I get that for families and things like that. But in general, statistically, we should be using and making much, much smaller spaces. And that uh, don't get me wrong, a tiny house is the far extreme of that. Mm. But yet it's absolutely perfect for that 1.6 person. It's, yeah. it's terrible for the family. <laughs> like people do choose to do it. And I think that's, that's fine. It's, it's not really designed for a family. But um, if you did have a family and, and you're, uh, you've got a block of land or if you're out in the country, you could just get another tiny home and annex them. <laughs> annex the children as they come along. And, 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 and Oh, exactly. You could definitely start, if you started as a, as a couple or a single and then and a couple, you can certainly expand the tiny house um, and also join them to other, say, tiny houses as far as say a hallway or a deck joining deck and then once the great thing about it is once the once your child has grown up and they're off to uni they can detach 
detach it and off they go and move on to the new place. So the great thing about that, there's a tiny house is very versatile because it can move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, there's, there's, it fits every age group, but certainly um, those ideas about having a family and having it modular and being able to connect, that's a little bit off yet just because we need to deal with some, regulation issues with with that size and having multiple tinies on one property current regulation allows for essentially one Mm -hmm. um but it's not to say that you couldn't get a a development application approval from a council but it would take some some process to them to to explain the merit of that application but it's not outside the scope and it will happen in the future i almost guarantee that absolutely guarantee that yeah but it takes time governments take time you were saying that um, you build uh, to be a compliant trailer so it can be registrable. And most oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. You can do that. Um, so people know what they're getting and they know it's meeting some regs. Do you see that obviously that's going to save costs because there's no DA costs in that and what all the things you incur there. But do you see um, that it's going to make it easier, obviously, for people to have the, that uh, the tiny homes in addition to a house they've already got as a granny flat or as an expansion, or even, I'm not sure it was yourself, you're mentioning that um, uh, farmers might be looking at it as a, I know I went up to the Hunter Valley. I know I'm rambling here, but I'll get this over out in a minute. <laughs> um, I went to the Hunter Valley and stayed at one of the wineries there in some, it was basically a tiny house. Um, and I thought, there's a thing for farmers, you know, if, if they want to add on, they can have a bit of a view and, and have people come stay overnight and maybe a honeymoon thing or, you know, a, a, a romantic getaway. Oh, look, the, the uses of a tiny house are, are vast. There's no question about that. It could be used for full-time living. Uh, it could be a weekend retreat. It could be uh, guest accommodation. It could be um, investment property for weekend rentals, uh, tourist accommodation, uh, you name it. There's, there's, there's options there. And I know that some of our clients, um, certainly support farmers in uh, co-sharing and using offering them rental for their land that's unused for, for holiday accommodation to rural areas. These are fabulous ideas. There's no question about that. And you can look at their websites and check out how they're doing that and doing a fantastic job. So no problems on having a mixed use for a tiny house and also like a shared economy. That's, that's the new normal now. So when people are sharing their properties in order to, to create a better future, but not only themselves, but um, the community around them, because obviously tourism brings in the money for other things. And yeah, it's a great, you'll see a lot more of that, I think, in the future, especially if you go to like hubs, like you've re- made reference to like uh, Hunter Valley or places like that. Hmm. They're in huge demand, huge demand for rental accommodation. So, yeah. You are getting back to the association uh, I imagine that most of the people there uh, are quite, well, not concerned maybe, but it, you'd have some backyarders, people who aren't doing the right thing. Putting, and I don't mean people who are building one for themselves. I mean people who build a tiny home that they might meet the regulations that uh, you guys have to meet as with the trailers. Um, uh, is, there, uh, is that happening? And is that good that the association can sort of weed that out or guide people to do the right way is there a is there a threat uh, to the whole name of tiny homes by people who probably aren't doing the right thing 
I think it's, that's a good question. I think you'll find that uh, any industry suffers um, problems from cowboys, like you name it. Like it, you could pick any industry and there's like, oh, you see that on a current affair or whatever. It's, um, it's just what it is. That's, that's how people are. And I think it's important that people, if you're going to make a, a business decision or, or a, an investment into a tiny house, it's, it's really important you do your due diligence and check up the company and how many they've made and, and you know that sort of thing so look at their reviews and there's enough information now on, on um social media on, on websites that you can make sure that you're not going to get ripped off and and often and i have had to be a, a witness for for a lady who did uh engage one of these people that you talk about and mm-hmm. and straight away i knew there was a problem because she said oh i paid cash you know and yeah. i was like well i mean <laughs> Like I felt bad for her, but I'm like, well, you sh- why did you do that? Why did you pay cash? Why didn't you have a written contract? So if you do the right thing and do your research, you should be fine. Um, yeah. One of the questions we have here is, is do you, what do you find the biggest limitation uh, when designing a tiny house? Is it weight for transportability, uh, transfer, uh, transfer, <laughs> being able to be transported or um, is it dimensions? What's the biggest limitation, and so this goes back to your previous question as well, is that there's a set of a set of rules, the set of rules that you should stick to. So for our company, we actually make caravans. Um, it le- its legal classification is a caravan, and it's built in accordance with the Australian design rules for motor vehicles, mm-hmm. and that sets out clear and defined uh, parameters of what you can and what you can't make. And yes, other people are making other things. Uh, and I, I don't want to speak on their behalf. That's up to them. But for us, we stick to the regulation. Mm-hmm. In my view, from my building experience, you either are building something in accordance with the building code of Australia, uh, a residential building class one to 10, or you're building in, uh, if it's a tiny house, I think you should be building something according to the Australian design rules or for short, they call it the ADR. If you're mm-hmm. making something outside that, forget about it. You shouldn't touch that company i wouldn't go near it it's not i don't think the right thing in exactly. saying that if we do make something in accordance with the australian design rules for motor vehicles the biggest single limitation that we have is is the size and the weight so the size is in my view fine it's a fine amount of space to be able to uh, house someone and create all the stuff that you need but the weight the weight is limited to four and a half ton total if you go over that it's not road legal and so these are the things that trying to balance a owner's expectation oh what trying to do that's all right we can hear you oh you can still hear yeah i'm like lucky i didn't swear then because i was like stop ringing me wife (laughs) it's it's like the one call doesn't she know you're going to be famous oh i told her i told her not i told her don't ring me between 12 30 and 1 30 so it's um Okay. Well, so get- the, so back to that. It's like it's size and weight. You're trying to balance an owner's expectation of weight, uh, and to make sure that the materials that they choose don't make it go overweight, mm-hmm. uh, and so they have to compromise somewhere else and miss out on some other item that they'd like to put in the tiny. So yeah, that's the biggest limitation I'd say. Okay. So it's it's like uh, in a way it's like mainstream building. You've got regulations you've got to meet. Is it um, what are the benefits then you'd say of um, building uh, tiny homes 
and from the customer's point of view, but also from a builder's point of view, uh, building tiny homes than a standard, you know, on a slab or on a block of land somewhere. Sorry, so I missed the first part. Like the so what? What's the difference, um, or what are the benefits of building a tiny home rather than uh, a standard home? You know. Oh, sure, home sure, home. absolutely. Oh, the benefits, in my view, are endless. Um, the fact is, if you build a tiny house and you move it to one location, uh, you don't like it there. You move. <laughs> Simply move. Take your house with you. Or if your job changes, you can move. And uh, if, say, for example, if you're working in Sydney and you buy yourself a house in Sydney and currently, you know, you, you, buy all, you pay all the fees and you're paying your mortgage, but assuming you, you didn't have those factors, you still have to pay taxes, stamp duty mm-hmm. on the sale. So these are things that are uh, a killer. If you get a job, say, for example, in Melbourne or Brisbane, you have to move or regional area, and you have to sell and repurchase mm-hmm. huge problems there in, in yeah. cost. So huge cost problem. And the fact that you can take your house with you, as far as the construction of the house goes, we build almost exactly the same as we do a normal residential house. It's almost exactly the same, mm-hmm. except for the base, the slab that you talk about on say a house or brick piers. It's a chassis. It's a chassis with, uh, in most cases, a triaxle trailer. And, uh, and so essentially, you've just got to make sure then that um, the overall height can't go over 4.3 metres tall. So we're limited by that. And so you yep. work from 4.3 metres down. the questions we had. Down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another question um, from Ben Scott. Would you have any idea, and he's asked how, um, how many... Um, Hopefully, built in Australia. However, I suppose I should say how many homes meeting the standard are being built in Australia because most people who are not doing the right thing probably don't advertise what they're doing. Sure, sure. So absolutely, I mean they've been building tiny houses for um, there's there's records of them um, of over thirty five years old. So yeah. they've actually been around for longer than people think, but not in the mainstream. Not or not it's not mainstream yet, but more mainstream than it used to be. I mean, it was on TV on Channel Seven last Friday night on one of the main channels. So it's it's becoming more mainstream. But I it has been around a long time. It has yeah, been around a long think time. About it. You can go back to um and I'm just saying I'm not signaling out a, a racial group here, but the gypsies used you also think of gypsies in the in the horse out the front and it's got the big uh truck, you know um, sort of trailer behind it and they're all living inside that. I suppose yeah. that's the first tiny home. Oh, but yeah. And unless it, we go it, back to when man first started, they're living in little caves. That was a little tiny <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when I That's right. When I first started the business, I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty ridiculous idea. I thought there was something in it, but I, I, I'll be honest. I thought it was a little bit of a ridiculous idea, but it's not until it was in my thinking and more and more as I drove around my suburb and around, I was like, oh, they've got a tiny house. Like, it's a pretty ugly one, admittedly, but they've got one. <laughs> so, you know, it has, been around a, it has been around a long time. So I would think that, uh, I couldn't tell you how many, but in the last, I mean, we, we've, um, I started in late 2015, so 2015, I built my first one. Uh, and in 2016, we built three. So that was um, the first year of just getting things together. Uh, the year after that, we built 20 mm-hmm. and then 40 and then 40 again. And this year, we're on track to make um, 
about 50 or 60. So, so for us, yeah, so the, <laughs> yeah, that's it. So for us, there's a number out there already, well over a hundred. And there's a number of other companies in other states. So I'd, I'd guess, I'd guess there'd have to be um, probably over 500 tiny homes uh, across the country since say, 2015 i'd say that's when it roughly i know that there was a company in queensland uh they're no longer doing it but the initial oh actually the initial company that started was in melbourne uh a guy down in melbourne made the first one and I, like i said i think he was around the 2015 mark so yeah. since then i would suggest there's probably around 500 commercially built ones and then i would say possibly up to 250 to 500 more uh do it yourself like diy models yeah yeah okay well another good question and we're running back to price here um in relation to using a wood frame this is from ross a wood frame versus a, a metal frame i suppose that can be an aluminium frame so is uh, what's the like general price or and weight difference what yeah that's a really good question like so for our company we uh, we only use timber we only use timber uh, timber to me is a renewable resource, whereas steel, it is uh, recycled. Like, admittedly, it is the number one recycled material in the world, but it also, it is finite. So and for my... Recycle it like that as well. Exactly, exactly. So there's pros and cons to both sides. Don't hear me say, um, don't use steel. But for us, we only use timber. We refuse to use the metal. I think, like I said, it's a better choice. Um, and I think you get a much better finish. As far as weight goes, it's yep. approximately 20% different. So steel is lighter. Uh, it is lighter. Um, but my experience when uh, early days when I got a costing, and the costing will vary between people because for me, the closest uh, steel frame fabricator was too far away. So the transport cost to bring me the steel frames was way too high, way too high. So it, I couldn't say price was, I think it is more expensive anyway, just fractionally, let's say between the steel and the timber. But the problem is the transport cost. So they do sell it in packs. So that's a way to keep the price down. Uh, but if you're going to get a prefabricated frame, I mean, you pay oversized transport. The walls are too tall. It's too, it's, it's, it's problematic. But if you happen to be building a tiny house next to a steel frame factory, well, that, that may, be, <laughs> yes. that may be good. That may be good, but not for us. Yeah. Not okay. Us. Uh, a question um, from Robert. Uh, it wasn't Robert actually. Um, I was looking for there. Uh, one of the questions was if you're going to have your tiny home on wheels and you're going to be parked for a long time, what happens to tyres? I imagine you'd, and, or do you just frame it up long-term? What will the tyres be a problem? Here it is. That's from Freddie. Yeah, it's a good question. Like these, you're getting some good questions here. This is good. So in New South Wales, it's my understanding of the regulation that if you have a caravan or a tiny house and you are staying in that for more than 150 days, it must be fixed down to a wind rating of 42 metres per second. So if you our highest recommendation for all all our clients is that once the tiny house is moved into position you you put it 
on some sort of peer system. So we use a steel post um, system, you know, and uh, it's very simple on a concrete pad footing. That's it. So as far as the tires go, they become essentially redundant. Um, They just, they just hang in the air and it's not an issue. Yeah. Give us answer another question there. I'll get which, uh, how do people deal with council rules limiting time periods that caravans can stay on the block of land? So that's exactly the same thing. I had a caravan um, for a while on, I know you can only stay so many nights and things like that. But a question here from Peter Collins, uh, or Collins, sorry, Peter. Uh, so you either need to be on wheels as a caravan or meet the BCA requirements, minimum bedroom size of eight square metres and ceiling height of 2.4 along with laundry kitchen act. Oh, that's correct. That's right. Yeah. So you can absolutely, you can absolutely build a tiny house and fix it to the ground. That's not a problem, but the BCA has set a code of what the smallest house can be. And yes, it, it, it is still pretty small. We have successfully got a DA through of one of our tiny houses. We did have to modify it and the council said it just had to be fixed to the ground. So it, it is possible but it has to have a laundry. So you'll have a vanity, you'll have a kitchen sink and you'll have a laundry sink all within 7.2 meters by 2.4, which really is, you know, that's not ideal. That's not ideal, but yes, you can do it. You absolutely can do it. Um, there are other considerations. Like you said, the, the ceiling height for the habitable space has to be a set size and um, things well, like that. So it is, yeah. Um, sorry to interrupt there, but another question's come up, and these will, if I don't go quick enough, I'll miss some of these, or you'll miss them. You're right. So what You're they're right. saying is, in other words, um, for a building permit, would you be subject to regulations such as stair tread, riser dimensions, balustrading, uh, railings? Yeah, so no. So the short answer to that is no. So in a caravan, there's no stipulation for uh, those types of things in a caravan. Uh, everything you do make though must be to the Australian standards. So you, there's a crossover between that. So you have to check. So whatever you're using, you must use Australian standards approved uh, products. And, and But if you're talking about a BCA requirement, no, that's not, you don't, that's not the same thing. So the BCA will have a set size for risers and treads and things like that. Whereas, it's a caravan and that's not the same, that's not the same code. So that's why you'll see things like, um, say a loft in a mm-hmm. tiny house. Um, there's no way you could ever get that passed under the BCA. There's just no way, but in a caravan, it's not the same. It's a different set of rules. So there's some things that are, are far that make a tiny house very beneficial by, for making it as a caravan, as opposed to a BCA compliant house on the ground, just being small, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, well, someone here is just saying they're a fellow builder of tiny homes and they use marine grade aluminium alloy. It's one tenth the weight of timber, um, no paints to finish. Um, and most of it's been recycled, 26% minimum. So they've been using that, not steel, which is interesting. Um, another one. Was yeah, and that's the- like I said, that's fine. That's totally fine. I'd never yeah. tell another company to use steel versus timber. I'll just say for us, we use timber yeah. for those reasons. But yes, other people use steel and aluminium that's great like it's it's there's pros and cons to both methods and and i think it's important that the market sees a variety because say for example if i have a client who comes to me and says oh i want a steel framed house i said oh okay well i don't make that but you need to go see such and such and i think there's scope for that you know 
Well, here's another one too. Um, have you ever built a tiny houses as a dependent person unit? Does it fall under the category or uh, can we do it or not? Yeah, so back that's going back to my uh, home building days. So I'm assuming we're talking about like, um, say like for, for disabled access and things yeah. like that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yes, you, you can build a tiny house however you like. If you need to make it for um, that type of unit, you can do it. If that's just, we custom make it to suit. So there's no, you don't have to have any set size door as long as for a caravan, you meet the caravan code, you can make it for an accessible unit. But as far as have I got one designed and approved by council to be installed um, off someone's property? No, I haven't, but it's not to say that that couldn't happen. I, I wouldn't see any issues with that happening. Yet. Okay. You've mentioned standards a couple of times. Um, ben Scott asked, do you see uh, in the foreseeable future that, um, Specific, specific standards will be developed for tiny homes that are crossed between the BCA and the ADR? I don't think it's necessary. So um, I don't think it's necessary. I think people should either choose to make a small house, yep. BCA, or they should make a caravan. If somebody wants to make something that's not either of those two things and they want to start a, an entire new um coding system and regulatory body government agency um that is i'm not sure it's necessary i'm not sure it's no, necessary well, I think the last thing we need another government agency um so I, I think that probably answers that here's a really I'd, interesting one. yeah i'd probably prefer i would probably like it it is a good question though but because I, I actually think i'd prefer to see um possibly some an extension of the BCA uh, to do to allow for that type of thing for say transportable homes. So they may not necessarily be classed as a caravan and you could make a transportable home. But the, the issue with that, for example, is the council regulation. So mm -hmm. the reason why I build caravans is because the existing regulation in New South Wales states that you can have one caravan and make sure you hear that correctly. It's not movable dwelling. It says yep. caravan. You can have one caravan on land. If there's, a if there's a house on it already, you can have one caravan uh, and live in it full time. There's more to that, but like you can read it up on our website, the exact wording okay. of the code, but it specifically says caravan. <clears throat> now, if the government said and changed that to say movable dwelling, then yeah, I would see that there would be a great scope for the BCA to include some items that we can use in a caravan to bring that into a tiny house space. So, but that's going to take time before the government changes the rules. Yeah. You should be a politician. You covered every post there. I think. No. <laughs> um, one of the, one, uh, just uh, uh, Cassie Monaghan. Hello to you. Um, she's a design, um, a design student and looking for ways to bring small and tiny houses closer to the cities. Um, noting that land is, a is the primary expense for housing in Sydney and Melbourne, I don't see how tiny houses can be an affordable option. Uh, I, yeah, when compared with the apartments that share the land expense, how do you see small and tiny houses contributing to futures of our city? Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. I like that one a lot actually, because 
it's really important that people understand, especially with town planning, things like that, that it's important and real estate and the values of real estate and things like that. It's important that the land is used for its highest and best use. So I absolutely agree with that question that if you were to say, get a vacant block of land in Sydney and put one tiny house on that, that is absolutely not, that is not the highest and best used for that piece of land. Absolutely not. Yes, you would build a sky rise, especially if it was next to a train station, something like that. So that's not what I would ever suggest for the tiny house movement. Mm-hmm. But I would suggest that in the city, suburbia city, that is, you have existing land you have, which has houses on it already. Yes. And you're not going to knock that down because there's already a lot of stored energy uh, resources in the existing house. So no need to knock it down. Keep it there. It, it's suitable for, say, say you've already got a three-bedroom house uh, in the suburbs in Sydney and it's got a beautiful backyard and a family raises their family there, but the kids move out and they're left with two people in the house which has five bedrooms. My personal view is the use of a tiny house, that couple should move into a tiny house in the backyard and then rent out the main house to an actual family who has a growing family and start again. To me, that's a better use of the space. It's a better allocation of the resources that we have access to. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm not saying everyone is going to live in a tiny house, but I think there's an enormous scope to be able to put tiny homes in backyards, side yards, front yards, mm-hmm. and have better use of those existing properties. So yeah, I, I think it's a very good question. No, no, it's a tiny house is not suited for a single block of land, but it is a very good option to coexist with an existing property. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, one of the questions we got, which uh, I suppose more technical, services. I know you can have, um, they're asking about connecting up services. So I know you can go to the, you can go to the, the, you can put a proper toilet in if you wish. You can have a cassette toilet or you can have a composting. Um, you can have a instant hot water or you can have, so can you want to go through what the choices are? Yeah. So services are, I would say that's the number one uh, question that clients who do buy on ask. So that's where they, I mean, everyone loves a tiny house. They think it's cute. They think it's nice use of space, all these other factors, but it comes down to what am I going to do with the wastewater, toilet, shower, vanity, kitchen, those types of things. How am I going to access like clean drinking water? Is it via a mains connection or is it a, a, um, a water tank? And how am I going to add power to this tiny house? Is it going to be through mains connection or a solar system? Mm. So all those things have alternates and it absolutely depends on where it's going. So the first question I always ask, Oh, that's, you know, they say, what, what am I going to do with the toilet? And I go, Oh, well, where is it? Where's it going? And they say, Oh, you know, it's in the back paddock of my parents' farm, 200 acres in Kangaroo Valley. And I said, well, okay, well, we need to look at a composting toilet. We need to look at a rainwater tank. And we need to look at a um, uh, solar system t- to be able to power up this tiny house. Now, all those things are completely achievable mm-hmm. and we do it for, for a lot of our clients. If you're going into the city though, in the backyard, I'd say, well, do you have mains power? They're like, yes. Okay. No worries. We'll just plug it in then to a 15 amp circuit. Mm-hmm. Like do you have sewer. Yep. No worries. We'll, we'll just tap into the existing sewer system. And do you have water? And they're like, yeah, of course, mains, mains water. I'm like, okay, we'll just run a, a, 
uh, water connection point with through a 500 kPa pressure limiting valve and away you go. So services depends on the land. What do you have on the land tells me what we put in the tiny house. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. Um, oh, you might have already covered this. Uh, how, how do you deal with the engineering for bracing for transport for, for transport of your building? I suppose just yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, so every single one of my workers that work in the workshop is a licensed carpenter and they're coming off, they're coming out of the regular construction industry. So these frames, these that we make, these structures, it's something, it's not like a new thing. And so we adopt uh, a framing system specific to our company that is probably overkill because we understand that the, the tiny house, it may be built here, but one day it might be driven up to Cairns or Northern Territory, somewhere where there's high winds or cyclone type ratings. So the system we use is um, is based on regular house construction, but we do go a little bit over the top with um, bracing ply, hardwood bracing ply around the whole thing, glued and nailed. Mm -hmm. And so there's no real issues with that. There's no, no issues with the bracing. We've never had a problem with that whatsoever, nor should we. I do see some, say, DIY frames being made. Yeah. And I think that comes back to the regulation. Sometimes I'll see it on Facebook and a little bit, I'm a little... Worried about um, it. Yeah, <laughs> I have some worries, right? I have yeah. some worries. Um, yeah, so people need to do their research. If you're a DIY, you absolutely should engage an engineer to tell you what you should make it like. Yeah, it's been really interesting listening to to you, uh, and especially um, you talk about sustainability, and we've got to try and use less resources, which is wonderful. Obviously, WeatherTech is a sustainable product. Um, it comes from the forest waste and is turned into a product that's all natural. And I know you use WeatherTechs. Mm, uh, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, do you, well, actually, how long have you been using WeatherTex, I suppose? And it, it obviously fits or ticks the box for sustainability, but just practicality, I mean, I mean embrace as well. If you had the sheet system, it embraces. Yeah, and that, that's a good point, actually. Like the products you use um, also add bracing. So um, WeatherTex is, it has many benefits. Obviously, um, you know, you can people can look through the web uh, the website from WeatherTex and see that it's to me it's a no brainer as far as choosing an external cladding system, especially for DIY because it's so easy. But its environmental uh, credentials are very high, very high. Plus, it's Australian made, which mm -hmm. is it's a huge benefit to to us or for those that consider those things, which I think everyone should. Um, and so, yeah, WeatherTex, uh, with the cladding that we've used, we've used it for a while now. Not on every single tiny. You'll see that we have a variety of different finishes. So we're not exclusive WeatherTex or like that, but we absolutely do love the product because the sheet length is very high. It's long. So there's no, you generally don't get a join, uh, yeah. which, is, which makes, you know, these things have got to look good. You've only got a small space to make this thing look good. So when you combine the, incredible environmental credentials of WeatherTex plus the the ability and and how good it is to and easy it is to install it is a very good product for either companies to use or certainly for DIYs there's some um, and yeah it's definitely something I think people should look into yeah that's great I, I've used, I use it and I'm especially I'm really a, only a DIYer um your customers when they come in they from what you said 
they'll have expectations. Uh, you'll probably look at that and then, and as you said, say, well, you can do this, you can do that. What do you want to use it for? Things I hadn't thought of. How involved are they in choosing the exterior surfaces of the, of the um, tiny home and the interior layout? Do you find that they've got an idea, but they haven't thought about where this pipe crosses and, and all that type of thing? And you tend to, when they come in, do the majority of the people have a design that's workable or do you have to really help them out there? I wish, I wish they all had a workable design. Um, one of the issues we do face is there's a lot of, obviously with Instagram, Facebook, social media, those types of things, there's a lot of access to images and pictures from uh, overseas. And the America being, um, you know, really big into the tiny house movement, we see a lot of stuff come out of there. The issue with America is you can have a tiny house up to seven ton in weight, <laughs> whereas it's four and a half ton. So they got the road for it. They got the road and the cars for it. So the issue we have a lot is to try and bring the weight down, That's and uh, how do we how do we meet those expectations with the finishes? So it's every every kilogram counts and so you've got to think about how can i achieve that with and create a nice look and i think that's the important part with say weather text there's a number of different finishes if, if diys are looking for an oiled finish they can they can achieve that with the weather text if they want it painted or smooth with shadow lines all those things are an option that you can get yeah. through weather text so that is a good and really good benefit for Okay. Uh, using weather text, but it's also people come in and a lot of our clients know they, they do make the decision to buy a tiny house because it is a um, environmentally conscious decision. So to know that we can recommend for certain looks, uh, weather text product, knowing that it's made, uh, in such a good way, it's yeah. a no-brainer to them. They easily said, "Yeah, that's good," and it looks good. It's got to look good. Like it, just, it that's that's a, it. Just has to. It has to look good, or no one's going to buy it. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, I want to come back to the design side, but there was a question here before it flicks off my screen. Um, if you're moving the tiny home from state to state, do the, any regulations change? Is it a national regulation for the build structure or way you place a vehicle? Okay, so that that's a good question too because it's important that people realise with the ADR. Yeah, the yeah the ADR the ADR is um, Australian design rules for motor vehicles, so it's, it's countrywide. It's it if you make it to that. Oh, that's now, if you yeah, so there are other regulations, say in the home building, um, a regular house that I do believe changes state to state. There may be some changes there, but specific for motor vehicles or caravans. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking at a nationwide, it's the same, no matter what it's. That's it's great. Buy, it? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't think we need to make a new regulation. I think people should just stick within the existing ones. Yeah. Yeah. But now it could have been someone from a government office talking. About. Maybe, kidding. maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, another good question here. Um, once, and I suppose you've got no control of this anyway. Once you've got the the, the, the tiny home on on site, can you put bolt-on uh, elements to it? And when it's in location, I mean, I think the answer is yes, but you'd have to look at the weight or, or what you if you're destroying the structure, wouldn't you? I mean, it's just a common. No, so yeah, it's it is yeah, it's it's um, 
it's a it's another common question we do get but it's important that people realize the tiny house it has to be for us a caravan on public roads when it's off the public road um it can go heavier obviously you can load it up with more stuff because it's not a risk to public but as far as bolting things on that's fine that's totally fine uh, as long as the structure is capable of withholding whatever it is you're bolting on. I've no idea what you're talking about, but it's, um, it's important that people realize that it must, if it's to be, to stay within the council regulations specifically for New South Wales. And it, like I said, it is different for other States, but it must have the capability of being registered as a caravan. So right. if I take the caravan, the tiny house, I deliver it to you. And then you choose to say, Oh, I don't like the look of the, the drawbar, that's ugly. I'm going to cut that off. That is no longer <laughs> registrable. You can certainly cover over the drawbar with a deck or bolt something on the side, an annex or an awning or a deck, or who knows what, whatever you want. As long as, as long as the caravan remains a caravan, uh, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. Look, um, our time's coming to an end and it's been really entertaining. We've got some more questions, but one I really want to talk to you, talk to you about, and I touched on it when I was over at your um, factory one time, you get so many requests and such a variety of what people want. Um, can you talk about, I mean, I think there's that uh, room you've got where it's all a, a dirty, great big TV in there and it's got lights on the floor and all that. That's interesting, but you also would get some weird or not necessarily weird, but requests that, you wouldn't think of. Um, you did mention that someone had a pole installed. In. <laughs> yeah. So can, without, uh, I'm sure our audience is over 18, but I mean, without going too far, can you tell us some of the more different things that you, you wouldn't have expected? Yeah, there's, look, you're, you're right. There are a lot of, um, there are a lot of interesting requests that we get sent. Um, pole being one of them, uh, swings and all sorts of uh, interesting equipment. You know, exercise, yeah. of course, Glenn. Oh, yeah. Exercise, okay. yeah, of course. And um, and that's up to each individual. You know, we'll make we'll make it if it's possible to make it. We'll we'll do our best to achieve that. But um, one really interesting uh, tiny house that we did make was, uh, and he's since bought another one. I only just uh, came out of a meeting with him just before this. That he's uh, he works for an airline, and he has fitted out the entire tiny house like it's like it's a, a cabin almost in an airplane with all sorts of um so the cabinetry is is the same galley cabinets that you would see in an airplane galley yeah. it's it's got um for the toilet light uh when you turn the toilet light on uh it, really? it goes it says <laughs> occupied and then it, it's in red and then when you turn the light off it goes back to green has exit lights. It has a black box in it, and it's really quite a fabulous, um, really fabulous one. And you can actually go rent that out. He's currently working on. Um, oh, really? So you don't have yeah. to. Yeah, don't have to have an air crew as your partner to. That's right, but he does include dress ups. If you would like to dress up like the captain, you can. <laughs> you certainly can. Okay. Uh, there's flight attendant. Outfits well, without leaving you, you go to the mile high, but that's another thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And he has some fabulous. He has the coffee table on the deck outside. Is a um, 
a landing tire from a plane with the glass insert. Yeah, it's, really well so played. we get a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting things like that. And um, like I said, each day it's a different design that comes through. Um, yesterday we were um, we were working on a design for a, a couple that lost their house in the bushfire. So that's another um, option. It's heartbreaking to see the house. They show me the pictures, you know, but um, that they can't get access to a builder because there's just, there's none, there's just not enough builders to be able to rebuild as quick. And there's, their one is quite a way out into the bush. It's off grid. Yeah. So, you know, we're looking at for them, a replacement of their, existing home for bushfire and there's may not be anything necessarily designed that's um uh you know unique but it, to know that it's it's replacing a bushfire ravaged yeah. property i mean there's a lot of benefit in that not not just for us but for them you know so i, I, can, I can definitely agree with that i've had to go to some of the sites and it's heartbreaking and i'm yeah. some of the um red tape uh, it's making it harder to or extending the time before you replace it look yeah What's been your most challenging um, job you've got? I'd say the most challenging one is we do some work for the uh, homelessness and uh, we do, we do do a work with other organizations, but currently we've made a, quite a few for the Salvation Army. And the challenge is making a house that for rough sleeping is is a, is a sense of home for the person, but also um, designed in a way that is comfortable for them and also to practical that they can clean, clean up, like have showers and, and, and have like it's in a small space to be able to have a laundry, like dryer, full, you know, the whole, all the services in order for them to get off the street with their possessions, say, uh, and yet be versatile enough to be able to accommodate like one of the workers to work with them at the same time. So that, that's, that has been a challenge for us, like those ones, but they're probably one of the most rewarding uh, to know that um, some to, to design a house for a rough sleeper is it's definitely outside our normal. Yeah. And uh, to be able to, cause a lot of the time with the design, you've got to try and think, you know, what would you like? How would you like, but to know, to know how to deal with those types of considerations, just that that's one of the hardest ones for me, I must say, to be able to make a nice enough place, uh, but also to make sure we pair it back, not too much, that it's um, the price point doesn't blow out so we can make more of them so it's more cost-effective. So yeah. I'd say that's one of the most challenging, yeah. Um, just a good comment here about the uh, one you did for the bushfire. Uh, what a good idea. You'd be able to move your home away um, out of the danger of the bushfire. But having said that, I just wanted to bring up a thing that if you were going into a bowel area, you would have to meet the bowel code. Is that correct still? No, no. And that's another fabulous, oh. uh, absolutely fabulous trait, let's say, to a tiny house that's built in the accordance moon. with a caravan. Yeah. So if you build a caravan tiny house mm -hmm. uh, and you put it on flood-prone or bushfire-prone area, the, the government regulation requires that the wheels must stay on. That's it. Okay. So when you talk about bowel ratings and things like that, they don't become, they're not part of the, the code right. well, for a caravan. I have a question for yeah. you because we've got to get going on um, and you're getting fantastic feedback. 
is there a typical time, lead, uh, lead time to have a, a, a tiny home built to order? Well, for us to build, so it's interesting when we started the, you know, when we started, it was myself in the backyard. Then I got another carpenter. Um, these days we, we have a staff of about 20. So it's a lot easier to make them and make them faster. Mm. And we have our production time down to about five weeks on average wow. uh, to make That's one. Great. So yeah, you can, from the start to finish it's five weeks. But of course, if you rang me today and thought you were going to get a tiny house in five weeks, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. There's, um, there's quite yeah. a waiting list, but we're trying to manage that as demand increases, right. but you, it takes that's about, good. yeah, it takes about five to five weeks to actually make one. Yeah. Um, but how long it takes to design one. Well, that's up to you. It could, yeah. Some people take two you years. Change it. That's going to make it longer. Well, look, yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I know you really are busy and um, I appreciate, we all appreciate it. It's been very interesting. I'd like to thank all of you that have joined our webinar. And if you've got any questions we haven't got to, please send it through and we'll send it on to Grant for you. Grant, thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. No worries. Thank you. Mm -hmm.